Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode number 38 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is part five of the unfair dismissal mini series, which I am focusing in on all things unfair dismissal and dealing with disciplinaries and dismissal issues and how you can avoid them really. So thanks very much for tuning in. If this is the first time you've listened in to this episode, then you might want to go back and listen to episodes one to four of this mini series. You don't have to have tuned into the first four episodes of this series to understand what we're talking about today, but it might help you to get some context in terms of where we're at with unfair dismissal. And in this week's episode, I'm going to be talking about compensation and the remedies for unfair dismissal. I think it's important that you as an employer understand what the consequences could be if you fail to follow the correct procedures or have a fair reason for dismissal. Um, if you end up in the employment tribunal, what could happen? So I'm going to talk to you about the remedies. Many people think that the only remedy for unfair dismissal is compensation. Whilst this is the main remedy, the main outcome that can come from a successful claim for unfair dismissal, there are two other options that are open to the employment tribunal and if the employee wishes to ask for these they can do so and there is actually a place on the claim form where they can tick to say that they want either of these options and they are reinstatement and re-engagement. So the focus of today's episode is going to be about compensation, but I'm just going to touch upon reinstatement and re-engagement initially. An employment tribunal can, in circumstances, in certain circumstances, order that an employer reinstates an employee who has been unfairly dismissed. Now, where they order reinstatement, it's as if the employee had never actually been dismissed. So the employee is employed again on the same terms and conditions with no loss of pay, no loss of rights, and they retain their continuity of employment as well as any other benefits they would have had if they hadn't been dismissed. So if in the period of time between dismissal and reinstatement, for instance, there'd been pay rises or other benefits issued to staff that the employee would have had if they'd remained at work, then they would be entitled to those as well. So that's reinstatement, which is one option an employment tribunal has open to them. The second option is re-engagement. And this is slightly um, different in that this can be ordered on such terms as the employment tribunal decide. So they can say that they have to be given a comparable job or another suitable job or any other terms that can be dictated by the employment tribunal in terms of re-engagement. Now, practically, reinstatement and re-engagement doesn't happen very often. And um, I would say it's in less than about 1% of cases with the employment tribunal order reinstatement or re-engagement. It's just not practicable once you get past the the decision, once you get past the dismissal, then through the employment tribunal. um, It's in in very rare cases where that can be ordered. And also it's rare cases where the employee actually wants to um, be reinstated anyway. So it has to be reasonable 
and the parties have to want to do it. So the employee has to want to do it. If, if however, the employer doesn't want to do it and the employment tribunal orders reinstatement or re-engagement and the employer fails to comply with that, then in addition, an employment tribunal can award between 25 and 52 weeks pay to the employee in addition to the order to reinstate or re-engage. So that's one of the options open to an employment tribunal. The next and the most common is in relation to compensation. The calculation formula for calculating compensation for unfair dismissal has developed over a number of years and it's broken down into two parts. You've got the basic award and the compensatory award. So if an employee is successful in arguing that they've been unfairly dismissed, an employment tribunal will then go on to look at the compensation. So the first is basic award. Now, the basic award is calculated in the same way as you would calculate statutory redundancy. So there is a formula, it's a formulaic approach. And that is to say you have to use the employee's age, their continuous employment and a week's pay to calculate what the basic award will be. And a week's pay is subject to a statutory cap, which for the current period of time, so from April 2015, the week's pay cap is £475. And it's also capped at 20 years. So if an employee has been employed for more than 20 years, the years over 20 are not taken into consideration for the calculation of the basic award. Now, the basic award can be reduced by the employment tribunal if they consider that it's just and equitable to do so. So the starting position is if an employee has been unfairly dismissed, they calculate the basic award and then they look at any adjustments. Now, there are two situations, really, where it might be just and equitable to reduce the basic award. The first is where the employee has unreasonably refused to accept an offer of reinstatement. So if the employer has offered to reinstate them, you know, let's just just say shortly after the um, decision to dismiss and they've been offered the same terms and conditions, etc. The employment tribunal may decide that it would be just and equitable to reduce the basic award. This will, of course, depend on the facts of the case and what's happened. So it's not necessarily the case just because an employer offers to re-employ somebody after dismissal that their basic award will be reduced. But it is something that the employment tribunal could consider. The second scenario is where there's been some contributory fault by the employee or some other conduct of the employee and that could be post-dismissal as well. That could mean that they could reduce their compensation up to 100%. So this could include things that the employers found out after the dismissal's taken place, for instance. So let's just say an employee is dismissed for misconduct let's just say they've sworn at um, a a customer and the employer decides to dismiss them and then it's later found out that for whatever reason it was unfair to dismiss them. But in the meantime, it comes to light that actually the employee had been stealing from petty cash. Uh, And so whilst the employee wasn't dismissed for that, that's something that they found out later on. So the employment tribunal could decide that because of the employee's conduct, as in stealing, they could reduce the basic award if it were just and equitable to do so. So that's the first element of compensation. The next element is the compensatory award. So this is compensating the employee for their loss, their financial loss as a result of what's happened with the unfair dismissal. And that will cover things like salary, pension, 
other benefits. Um, and that includes all those sorts of things that an employee would have earned if they hadn't been unfairly dismissed. And that's covered up until they obtain a new employment. So if they obtain new employment at the same rate of pay, and so therefore their loss ends, that would be the time the compensation is awarded to, or for such a period as the employment tribunal considered it to be just and equitable to do so. Now, this issue of the length of time that compensation can be awarded for, as in just and equitable, is less of a point of argument nowadays, I suppose, because the government introduced a statutory cap on unfair dismissal compensation. So it used to be that you could get compensation um, indefinitely, if you liked, if you could argue that it would be just and equitable. And there were some cases where people could argue that they had a career loss. You know, somebody who was close to retirement, for instance, could argue that they would never be able to find another job um, on the same salary again or in the same industry and therefore they could get a couple of years compensation awarded um, and people would often try and argue that or argue for long periods of time you know particularly where somebody worked in a specialist role or if the economic climate were bad and there were less opportunities people would argue for quite long periods of time for compensation for their loss but the statutory cap means that you can only recover 52 weeks pay or um, £78,335 as a maximum now. So it's one or the other depending on what the earnings are. So if you've got a really high earner, for instance, and let's just say they're on £100,000 net a year, um, they wouldn't get £100,000 for 52 weeks loss. They would get £78,335 or, um, as I say, 52 weeks if they're on less. What I should say about the statutory cap is it doesn't apply to unfair dismissal cases where the reason is whistleblowing or for health and safety reasons. So the compensation could technically go over 52 weeks in those circumstances. But now what an employment tribunal will do is let's just say, for instance, um, a case takes six months to get to the employment tribunal. And in that time, the employee has been unable to find alternative work. The employment tribunal will then look at what is just an equitable going forward for their future loss for the remaining six months of the um, compensation for, for the, the statutory cap. Now, there isn't any prescribed formula for calculating the compensatory award, and it has developed over time through various case law. The leading case in relation to the compensation award is the Norton Tool versus Tewson case from 1972. And that sets out various heads of loss, if you like. And when you're preparing a schedule of loss, um, if you're an employee um, or you're looking at a schedule of loss, if you've got a claim against you for unfair dismissal, these are the sort of headings you would look for. So these heads of loss are that there would be the immediate loss of wages, future loss of wages, loss of protection for unfair dismissal or for redundancy payments and the loss of pension or other benefits. Now, with all kinds of compensation, what has to be looked at is the link between what happened, so the wrongdoer's um, actions, and the issue in hand. With an unfair dismissal case, what the employment tribunal needs to do is link the employee's loss to the actions taken by the employer in unfairly dismissing them. And in most cases, that's fairly obvious. You know, it flows that they've been unfairly dismissed and therefore they can claim their loss of earnings. 
Now, there are some situations where an employee might get temporary employment. If they get temporary employment, then that doesn't break the um, chain of causation, we call it as lawyers. So it doesn't break that. So the temporary employment would just be taken into consideration for their earnings that they've got from that temporary employment. It doesn't necessarily mean just because they've started a temporary job that that's the point at which the compensation should end. And the same thing goes with a new job. If an employee gets a permanent new job and then loses that job during the period of time before they get to the employment tribunal, for instance, then it might be arguable by the employer that the loss of the past job means that there is no longer, their future loss is no longer attributable to the dismissal, the unfair dismissal, meaning that the compensation should end at the time that they started their new employment. Now, this might be the case in most situations, but there have been some cases where people have argued, for instance, that they've been on probation and they haven't been kept on past their probation and therefore their continuing loss is still as a result of the unfair dismissal by their original employer. So that's one thing that could stop the loss from continuing. When looking at compensation, it's net pay. So the employee receives their net pay calculation for loss. They get their bonus and commission subject to how that would have been paid to them. If they've got a guaranteed bonus and guaranteed commission, um, then that would be payable. And they would also get payment for other benefits. So a, a price is essentially put on those benefits. So things like insurances, like life insurance cover, ill health cover, things like family protection or private medical, company cars, um, pension contributions, all those sorts of things are assessed and added to the pot for compensation so that essentially what the employment tribunal will do is look at putting the employee in the position they would have been had they not been unfairly dismissed by their employer. And when it comes to looking at future losses, I touched on this earlier and I said about the statutory cap, which means it's not so much of an issue anymore. But when looking at future loss from an employment tribunal's point of view it's speculative so it may be that they they have to look at all the circumstances of the case and it may be that future loss is fairly short if, it, if the employment claim doesn't reach the tribunal until sort of six or seven months after the dismissal took place and then the remedy hearing is like another month away um, they're really only looking at a small period of time for the future loss anyway before the statutory cap would kick in so that's how they start by looking at the compensation. So the employment tribunal will look at what the losses are and calculate those. Then comes the deductions. And this is where, as an employer, you need to be on the ball throughout the case from the outset, a planning for arguing that any compensation should be reduced. Now, the first deduction to consider is what's known as a Polky deduction. And it's called a Polky deduction because it comes from a case which is Polky versus AE Dayton Services from 1987. And what the Polky case says is that if an employee would have been dismissed anyway, but for an error in the procedure, then there can be a deduction in the compensation to take into consideration that point. So this is where you have a situation where an employer has made a procedural error for whatever reason and the outcome of the decision of the employment tribunal is that the dismissal was unfair. Now the employer can then argue that it would have made no difference to the outcome of the decision. So let's just say you've got a situation of misconduct and it's a serious issue of misconduct 
But at some point or other in the procedure, something goes wrong. Um, let's just say the employee isn't invited to a meeting or it's not dealt with by somebody independently. And then the employer will argue or should argue um, throughout their defence that it would have made no difference to the decision. So let's just say the employment tribunal decide that the decision to dismiss was unfair because there was no separation in processes and that, that there was a blurring of the lines between the investigator and the decision maker. If the employer can say, well, that would have made no difference if it had gone to somebody separate, it would have made absolutely no difference to the decision to dismiss, then a Polky deduction should be made. As an employer, I would strongly recommend you argue this in your defence and put it to the Employment Tribunal for consideration in the evidence so that you can produce evidence that says that it would have made no difference. If you can do that, then there's likely to be a deduction. The most obvious type of cases where this occurs is where there's redundancy um, errors, errors in the redundancy process, for instance, or the consultation process. And employers can successfully argue that it would have made no difference to their decision to dismiss that employee for redundancy or to select that employee for redundancy if they'd done the procedure differently. And this applies to procedurally or substantially unfair dismissal cases. And what the employment tribunal can then do is they can either make a percentage deduction or put a limit on future loss. So where there have been procedural errors in the way that it's been dealt with, and that's the reason for the unfair dismissal, it's most likely that they'll make a percentage deduction to take that into consideration. Or if you've got a case where, let's just say, for instance, it's a capability or a poor performance issue, and the employment tribunal decide that actually you missed out a step in allowing them additional time, for instance, to improve. If you can show, actually, it would have made no difference. If we'd given them another two months, they would have been dismissed anyway. If the employment tribunal accept that, then they could limit the employee's loss to that two-month period that they would have actually been employed if you'd continued to follow the procedure correctly. What's interesting to note about the Polky deductions is that even an admission of guilt and then a failure to follow the procedure doesn't necessarily mean that there'll be a 100% reduction in compensation. So if the employee admits what they've done and you just say, okay, then you've admitted it and you don't bother with any of the procedure and you dismiss them without doing anything. No investigation, no meetings, um, no appeals, none of that side of things. Even though you can say to the employment tribunal, well, it would have made no difference if we'd followed the procedure because they would have been dismissed because they admitted it and this was serious misconduct. It doesn't necessarily follow that the employment tribunal will agree and reduce their compensation by 100%. So as I was saying in episode four, and three, three about the reasonableness of the dismissal and four about the ACAS code of practice and the procedures you should follow. You should always follow a minimum procedure when you're dismissing somebody. Okay, so that's the Polky deduction. The next deduction that an employment tribunal can make is a reduction for the employee's contribution to their dismissal. So if the employee's conduct is culpable or blameworthy and they've caused or contributed to their dismissal, and it's just and equitable to do so, the employment tribunal can reduce their compensation accordingly. Now, this is in relation to conduct that occurred before the termination. It doesn't relate to anything that's found out later on. So when we were talking about the basic award, I said if it was later found out, for instance, that they had been stealing from petty cash, then that contributory conduct could be taken into account so that the information they learned post-dismissal. That can't be taken into account when deducting for compensation 
So it has to be things that were known about before. So the employee's conduct is important. If they've contributed in any way to their demise, if you like, then um, that can also be considered even if the dismissal was unfair. Other things that are taken off for compensation are state benefits. So if the employee applies for benefits and is successful in getting something like job seekers and there's a compensation um, awarded for loss of earnings, then there will be a recoupment provision. So the part of the compensation which is effectively being paid to the employee for job seekers allowance is paid to the government. And that might be something that so it won't go to the employee but has to go to um, the Department for Work and Pensions. And the Employment Tribunal will do that calculation and, and um, provide you with the relevant information there. The other thing that can reduce compensation is the employee's failure to mitigate their loss. So in, all employees have an obligation, once they've been dismissed, to look for alternative work to try to mitigate their losses. And if they fail to do so, then you as the employer the burden is on you to argue this, can argue that they've failed to mitigate their loss. So they've just sat back, not done anything and waited for their compensation. So the burden, as I say, is on you. So you have to produce evidence. And what I would say is if you get any inkling that an employee is making a claim for unfair dismissal, that you start by collating evidence, looking at the local job papers, assign somebody or your legal representative can do this for you to look in the papers and find um, jobs that are similar or that could have suited their skills. And you would deduce those and say, well, actually, the employees produce no evidence that they've looked for any work. And um, But we have. We found all these kind of jobs in our local area that would have been suitable for that employee. And therefore, we're arguing that they failed to mitigate their loss. And the employ employment tribunal could reduce the employee's compensation accordingly. So those are the things that can be deducted. So it's not the end of the world if you get an unfair dismissal decision against you because there are other things you can argue even in cases where you've just failed to follow the procedure correctly and you need to be sure as I said throughout this that you are arguing this right from the outset when you submit your defence to the employment tribunal which is why it's even more important to get advice on that at that stage. Finally I just cover off about non-financial loss because quite often I am asked by employees more than employers I have to say whether they can recover their loss for stress and um, whether they can get damages for the way that they've been treated in the unfair dismissal. The answer to this is no. With unfair dismissal cases you cannot recover non-financial loss so it really is down to the loss of earnings and for employers it means that you can have some certainty at the outset if you get an unfair dismissal claim against you, of what your potential loss could be if the Employment Tribunal decide against you. That's a quick run through there about compensation and the remedies available for unfair dismissal. So you know where you stand and what's at risk. As I've said throughout these podcasts and particularly this unfair dismissal series, it's really important that you get advice. If you have a claim for unfair dismissal against you, it's well worth making that investment and getting some advice about that particular case before you have to find yourself sat in front of an employment tribunal judge. If you need some help and assistance, you can contact me. It's alison at realemploymentloradvice.co.uk or you can have a look on my website, adviceforemployers.co.uk. We're nearly rounding up the 
series on unfair dismissal. I do have one further episode left to go, which is going to be episode six, and that's going to be some frequently asked questions about unfair dismissal and just dealing with a few points that have been sent in to me and just to wrap up a few of the things we've covered in this mini series. So do tune in next week for the next episode. And if you do have a question that you would like answered or a particular point that you want to make about this that you'd like me to cover off, then you can also contact me via email or the website. Finally, if you have been enjoying these episodes, I'd be really grateful if you could go over to iTunes and leave me a review. Uh, It does help other people to find the podcast and also to bring the podcast into higher up in the rankings so that when people are looking for employment law and HR, they will find me. So thanks very much for all your support and thanks for listening. This episode of the Employment Law and HR podcast is brought to you by the HR Harbour Portal, an innovative solution for employers and HR managers. It's a cloud-based portal holding your employee information securely in one location that can be accessed from anywhere that you've got an internet connection. Access can be assigned to managers at different levels and employees can have their own portal to access their own holiday records, for example. One of the key features of the HR Harbour portal is the ability to be able to manage holiday bookings remotely and electronically. So you can get rid of all the paper, get rid of the paper applications and be sure that your holiday information and absence records are up to date and up to the minute so you can plan better for your workforce. If you'd like a no obligation demonstration, then you can contact me. It's alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk or you can have a look on the website at adviceforemployers.co.uk for hr hyphen support. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you, that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.